Today's podcast is brought to you by our very good friends at Practice Evolution Prime. Practice Evolution Prime was created to bridge the gap from school to success. You can be successful, you should be successful, and being successful takes work. You have to gain the skills and foundation to be the sought-after family chiropractor, and our goal is to create extraordinary family chiropractors. This program is not easy. It will challenge you. It will push you. We choose to only work with doctors and students who are teachable, principled, and willing to work hard to improve their skills, practice, and their lives. If you are interested in learning more about this program and to apply, or if you are a patient looking for a PEP Prime doctor, visit our website, pepprime.com. That's pepprime.com, or call the Practice Evolution Program at 801-281-1646. Hello, KiddoCast. This is Dr. Bronstein. Welcome to 2018. Thank you so much for sticking with us over the past uh, several episodes in season two. It's been an amazing ride, and I couldn't have done it without you. This episode uh, is very, very special. Um, It is a cross-promoted episode with uh, my dear friend, Dr. Lindsay Matthews' podcast, The Birth Fit Podcast. For those of you who know Lindsay, an introduction really isn't necessary, but um, for those of you who do not Um, you need to get to know her. Lindsay started a little podcast. I'm sorry, not a podcast. She started a little uh, blog back in 2011 called BirthFit. And as an avid athlete, uh, chiropractor, and uh, advocate for all things birth, um, Lindsay created quite a following until uh, within the past several years, she has exploded BirthFit into a worldwide brand. She's created training courses and affiliations and all sorts of things uh, to help moms have the births that they want, regain their power, and learn what they're capable of. I had the honor and privilege of spending a weekend with Dr. Lindsay and her colleagues in Dallas last summer. Um, I trained with Dr. Lindsay. I use uh, many of her protocols daily in my practice. Uh, She's taught me some amazing things about birth that um, I wouldn't have have otherwise learned. And uh, I am indebted and privileged to to have known uh, her for as long as I have and and continue to work alongside her as we make full stop trajectory change for the benefit of our moms and children. This podcast, like I said before, will be cross-promoted with episode 92 of the BirthFit podcast. I highly recommend you go over to birthfit.com, subscribe to the BirthFit podcast on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever you guys can find, and start listening with alacrity. Um, Whether you're a doctor or a patient, you will absolutely learn something from every single interview uh, because she's got some heavy hitters on that podcast and uh, they're all all amazing people so thank you very much enjoy this very very special cross-promoted episode of the kiddo cast and the birth fit podcast and we'll see you for our regular episode next week take care bye hello birth fit Lindsay here hopefully you know my voice by now i am recording with Dr. Daniel Bronstein. Do you say Dr. Daniel in practice or Dan? Oh, man, my patients call me a little bit of everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, Daniel's good. That's fine. I don't think I've ever said that. I've just said Dan, but it's, it's <laughs> on the screen right here in front of me. 
<laughs> well, I'm trying to maintain a modicum of professionalism, Lindsay. <laughs> I love it. All right. Tell everybody who you are. Give them your elevator speech because I know who you are and how much good you do in this world. But I'm going to play dumb for this episode and try to like show you off to the world. So, yeah, tell them who you are. Perfect. Um, well, first of all, Lindsay, thank you so much for, for having me on the cast. Um, you know, I have a ton of respect and love for you and everything you're doing with BirthFit. Um, I've, um, I've been in practice for uh, almost seven years as a doctor of chiropractic. Uh, I have a practice in Grover Beach, California, which is dead smack between LAX and SFO. Um, we have a predominantly pediatrics-focused practice. The majority of my patients are under the age of five. Uh, and so we're intrinsically tied to the birthing world here. We're, we're tied to the pediatrics world. And, um, uh, you know, it, being involved in that level in our community has, um, has, has really made a huge kind of impact in my life. People ask me all the time, you know, how did we get involved in, in, you know, taking care of children and taking care of mamas? And, um, you know, honestly, the answer is just, I, I fell into it. You know, I, mm -hmm. I was very, very good at taking care of kids. I love taking care of children. My, my grandmother taught preschool for almost 50 years. And, you know, she taught me a, a lot about learning how to play and learning how to love unconditionally. And, and that's, that's honestly what's translated, I think the most, um, in, into my practice. And so, you know, the type of impact we have in our community is solely based on, you know, growing a generation of children that um, will be healthier than, than our generation. So I love it. Yeah. So what made you because, you know, as much as I do that I didn't come out of chiropractic school wanting to be all in the pregnancy, pediatrics, postpartum world. And I don't think you were all in the pediatrics world Not at either. All. So what, yeah, what made you go like full throttle? Um, was there one specific like case or experience or how did that, how did that pan out? Oh man, that's an awesome question. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I I graduated uh, what a quarter after after you, yeah, um, I think. 2010. I think it actually ended up being a year because of the time that I spent um, uh, abroad. But yeah. um, hindsight, you know, we we basically came out at the same time. And you're right, I was really heavily mechanistic when I graduated. I, you know, my my mantra was show me the proof, show me the research. That was my background. I, I'd been you know involved in in research and higher higher ed for many many years before chiropractic college. And um, the school that we both graduated from put a huge emphasis on you know wearing the doctor badge mm -hmm. uh, at the expense of wearing the healer badge. Um, it was more important for us to check the boxes and you know, bill the provider than it was to actually get sick people well. Um, and so, you know, when I graduated from, from that college, um, I was, I was a little lost because I got into chiropractic, uh, because I was an athlete, you know, just like you and just, mm -hmm. just like, you know, most of the folks that we know, uh, we had an experience that saved our careers. Um, most people know that, um, I, I was, you know, as a water skier in college, I had been a wrestler and a martial artist for many, many years before that. And, I got to the point where, you know, my, my goals, um, athletically and my lifestyle were incongruent. Um, chiropractic really saved me there, but I didn't know why at the time. Mm. Well, fast forward four years, uh, chiropractic college and, um, 
you know, I, I got out of school. Uh, most people know this about me. I spent uh, four months in Geneva after graduation as a consultant for WHO. Uh, we were writing health and safety policy on alternative med, or they call it traditional medicine. Uh, chiropractic was included. Um, and then I was just like, this is not what I want to be doing. Um, and so I came home uh, January of 2011. I was just lost. I had this experience, uh, the, all this experience that added up to essentially nothing. I was like, well, what's, what's my source? Why, why am I, why am I doing this? Why did I get involved in the first place? And honestly, Lindsay, it came down to me spending time with a lot of really principled docs, a lot of docs who really get the precepts of vitalism, who understand the major premise, which is essentially that there's, there's order out of chaos. The body is capable of healing on its own. Um, and then to answer your question full circle, I got to see these really high power docs make amazing, miraculous things happen with the kids in their offices. Mm. And that really transformative experience or set of experiences set in motion, everything that has happened until this point, continued training in pediatrics, continued training in pregnancy. Uh, most of you know that I, I completed some Kappa doula training this year and, um, it's just we can't unlearn what we know now. Yeah. Um, it's completely and irrevocably changed uh, my practice. Um, I love taking care of children because children are not corrupted by the stress and toxicity that most of us as adults uh, are. And um, that means that when we care for them and we find interference in the nervous system, we find uh, inflammation, we find discoordination – if we can correct those underlying problems, these kids flourish in a way that um, most other kids don't. So there you have it. I love it. Yeah, it's um, – I like what you said. Like you cannot unknow what you know or experience because that's absolutely true. And, you know, um, the school we went to was very mechanistic. And it's the – birth is the big picture. The motherhood transition is the big picture. And, you know, these kids are – why we do it so right on um what would you like what would you say for somebody that has never a been to a Cairo or brought their kids to a, see, see a Cairo because I get that question all the time whether it's via social media or um Instagram or like whatever they're like but why does my kid need to come in at you know a week old or two weeks old or five days old you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well. Um, I find where I live in San Luis Obispo, um, there, there's a love hate relationship, uh, between <laughs> allied, allied birthing providers and Kairos. And I, I, I've only been here for seven years. Most, most of the providers that I know grew up in this area. And mm. so I'm still trying to learn, um, the geography a little bit, but, uh, I found myself having this conversation with a mama who's, um, now, eight-week-old first came to see me at about two weeks old, uh, and this is a failure-to-thrive case. Um, she was referred to me by multiple other patients, which is usually how things go in my practice these yeah. days. Um, but uh, this kid uh, was just uh, – she'd been born with a pretty significant anterior tongue tie. Um, the, the hospital that they, uh, the baby was born in, um, it basically, as a matter of policy, took the baby right after birth, clipped the tie, um, didn't really give this, this mama the appropriate post-surgical care for the kiddo and just kind of kicked him out the door. Mm. 
Um, so this kid is not gaining weight, um, and, uh, comes to see me and, and we clear a lot of these things out. Um, but as is the case with pretty much all of my patients, I like to work in a team, uh, with other providers. And so we talked about having an IBCLC, like a lactation consultant on board to help through the process. And one of the go-to lactation consultants in our town, um, is vehemently anti-chiropractic, which is really strange to me. And yeah. I've, I've reached out to this person on, on numerous occasions to try to build bridges, but, uh, you know, we haven't been able to, to bridge that gap yet. Um, anyway, so recommended that, you know, she see this person in spite of her attitude towards chiros. And, uh, first thing this person said was, why, why is the baby seeing a chiro? The baby's perfect except for the fact that the baby can't latch and still has major cranial asymmetry issues because of oh. the post-surgical scarring and all this other stuff. So I encounter this quite a bit. And because of the type of practice that I have, which is fairly intensive on the corrective side of things, yeah. the answer that I basically give is that birth in and of itself, the way that our birthing culture has kind of evolved is largely traumatic, right? Yeah. Even with mamas who are delivering at home, who are delivering under the supervision of an excellent midwife, uh, you know, working with other allied healthcare providers, um, my feeling is that the genetics and beyond that, the genomics of, of human birth have changed so much that birth itself has become this procedure as opposed to a natural phenomenon. And I know I'm preaching to the choir with you and everybody else at BirthFit, but as a result of that trauma, as a result of that fear, as a result of that stress, our babies are being born more and more into that sympathetic dominance, that stress dominance. And what, what mm -hmm. comes with it, structural changes, what comes with that is neurological changes, neurological interference. And so the sooner that I, as a chiropractor, or any of the other qualified chiropractors who take care of children can check for those signs the sooner we can change the entire trajectory of that child's life instead of ignoring yeah, that's which, huge like the trajectory i can't say that word <laughs> trajectory like, i've gotten good at it because that's like the theme of my podcast as yeah, well it's a full stop trajectory change yeah. because know is that there's so many kids now that are being diagnosed with developmental delays, sensory processing disorder, autism, mm -hmm. uh, being diagnosed with all sorts of analog issues like gut permeability problems. Kids are being diagnosed with hormonal issues earlier and earlier. We're seeing seven, eight, and nine-year-olds now who are hitting menses, which is unbelievable. That's so it, early. It's so early, right? I mean, honestly, like my, my daughter, she's nine years old now and she's living a totally chiropractic lifestyle, but we're still even seeing issues that are almost prodromal of menses with her right now, which means that it's not just a matter of being isolated and being healthy one-on-one. -on -one. It's about the entire community yeah. that's changing, right? Mm, and totally. So when I talk to parents about the need for getting their kids checked, that's how we describe it. It's not meant to scare anybody, but it's just to say, listen, like if, or in order for us to be healthy now in this new paradigm, we have to do things differently than have been done before. Yeah. We have to live this wellness lifestyle rather than this reactive, fix the problem, put a bandaid on it, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a question, which <laughs> this is kind of random and I was going to go on a different different trajectory with the, the convo, but um, this talk I gave this past weekend, which was like awesome. It was at po the Power Athlete Symposium and I talked about the critical period or the primal period from conception to the end of the first year of life. And 
some people may argue that um, we've gotten better at diagnosing issues like that, where I kind of call bullshit on that. And I, I say, you know, these issues, like what you've talked about, autism spectrum disorder, allergies, asthma, gut issues, um, learning disabilities, things like that. I think it's so, whatever is happening in this primal period is influencing all that. So what, yeah, what is your opinion on um, that, that super important <laughs> period of life there? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you know I'm a research guy. Yeah. Um, I've spent the last seven years trying to, to turn off the empiricism button uh, because what we do is so much bigger than that. And we keep forgetting that evidence-based medicine is a three-legged stool too, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's not just what the science says, but it's also the practitioner's experience and you know the patient's wants, needs, and characteristics. And between those three of those things, we get the best possible care for our patients. Um, I, as a chiropractor, randomized control trials and other gold standard studies are really terrible metrics to determine how well we do what we do because chiropractors um, use a very different approach that's very individualistic. Uh, it's There's an art that goes along with what yeah. we do um, in addition to the science and the philosophy. Um, but, you know, I also tell people it's impossible for us to get a gold standard because, frankly, like some chiropractors are just better than others at doing what they do. Totally. There's variability in technique and approach. Um, and so going back to your original question, I mean, I, am a huge bench science guy. I like looking at the bench science. I like looking at the underlying mechanisms to, to see kind of what's happening. And, you know, I think I, I would simplify your question, uh, into just one common denominator. And we talked about it already and that's, that's midline tethers or tethered oral tissues or tongue ties or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. There's without a doubt, a massive increase in incidence of tongue ties. And there's some hypothesis about why this is, and I think it ties into why our, why our kids are so sick. Um, the biggest hypothesis is that these kids are showing up with a variety of uh, detoxification, detoxification pathway issues. Um, yeah. Most parents will look at this as an MTHFR problem, but MTHFR is just a small problem. A piece of it. It's a small piece that is, um, it's really part of a humongous, humongous picture. Um, I, I do have some, some methylation kiddos in my practice, uh, a lot actually. Um, but you know, this goes hand in hand with mitochondrial dysfunction, hormonal dysfunction. It can go along with blood sugar dysregulation. It can go along with gut permeability, like you name yeah. it. So we have all these like basically compounding issues that over the course of many generations, in my opinion, have, have sort of mutated right? Human beings have become so disassociated with their, as you were talking about, their primal instincts, their programming, that the genes are starting to mutate in such a way that makes it more convenient for us to adapt to our technology, to adapt, uh, adapt to uh, industry, uh, to adapt to convenience. Um, and now trying to go, to go back to that primal lifestyle, that primitive, very um, I'd say like congruent genetic lifestyle is becoming more and more difficult. And that's why it's so difficult to be healthy these days, right? It takes more time, more energy, and more money to be healthy yeah. because if you do what the FDA says, um, we'll save money, but we'll be sick as dogs. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's my feeling and that's my observation. And it stinks because when I see a parent who's done everything right during their pregnancy, um, they've done everything right preconception and we still have a kiddo that has some, some problems, 
um, we have to try to figure out how to, again, change that full trajectory generationally. Yeah. So not just our kids, but our grandkids and our great grandkids will, will be healthy as well. Oh, yes. Um, that's awesome. Can you elaborate more on the, the midline issues? Because I know there's people going, I hope Lindsay asks about this right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, midline defects um, can can be multiple, and they usually kind of come in, in packs. But um, for simplicity's sake, the most common midline defect is a tongue tie or lip tie, which basically means that there is an adhesion uh, or a fibrous band somewhere inside the child's mouth that's preventing normal tongue movement, uh, typically tongue thrusting, and that contributes to anywhere from latching issues uh, to it can be associated with speech and cognitive developmental issues mm -hmm. as well. Um, I'm actually, you know, I'll, I'll do a name drop. I'm going down to study with Monica Berger in um, <laughs> February. She's she's doing a, a tethered oral tissues. She's uh, a legend. She's so amazing. I just had her on my podcast last week. I'm Aww. so excited for the episode. But um, yeah, I'm I'm looking to kind of up my game in, in the, the TOTS world because I see so many of them. I have a rudimentary, well, better than rudimentary understanding, I think. But the, the, the science is changing and adapting so much that uh, the more that we as these types of providers can, can identify it, the more we can help these kids. And the standard really now is if you have a child with a tie, even a posterior tie, which is often hidden, and there's no latching issue whatsoever, most progressive pediatric dentists are saying now that it should be revised wow. regardless. Wow. Yeah, because it has such a big uh, contribution to other developmental things later on in life uh, that the earlier they get to it, uh, the, the better. I mean, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a pediatric dentist, but I've heard some pretty prominent voices in the world of, um, of tethered oral tissues make those, those assertions. So is that always associated with like an MTHFR gene variation, or do you know? Um, I, I think it's uncertain. There's certainly... Okay. Um, there's certainly a lot of things that can go into it. And again, remember, MTHFR itself is just a small part of the yeah. methylene cycle. And it's the most, uh, I'd say, sexy one because it seems like everybody has it and they're all testing for it now yeah. with 23andMe and Ancestry.com and all that. Um, but it could or it couldn't. I don't, I don't know if there's a, there's an exact correlation. We know that methylation um, definitely can contribute to stuff like this. It's almost like the pendulum has swung completely in the opposite direction from yeah. cleft palate to the opposite side, which oh. is midline tether. And we know that it's also very much associated with uh, moms taking folic acid in pregnancy as opposed to actual methyl tetrahydrofolate. Yeah. Certain certain moms who are vulnerable um, are, are their children are, are more at risk. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you know our buddy Stan, he's he's the first person to say that the best way to get folate is from gamey meats and getting real food, which uh, you know I think you and I can definitely I love real food. <laughs> no kidding. Right? <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's I know everybody's listening, going, "Wow, that's interesting." Um, yeah, I'm stoked that there's actually more research and more thought going into that side of things because, you know, that's something I don't know, but it's definitely something that I'm like, okay, somebody needs to get in on that, um, the midline and the tongue tie research there. And chiropractors, Lindsay, and I, this is a really important point, and chiropractors and other allied healthcare practitioners, body workers, uh, you know, doulas, midwives, 
they're championing championing this um, this knowledge base, and the reason is because their paradigm is completely different than the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the traditional American medical infrastructure focuses so much, as you talked about before, on reactive healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nomer, it's reactive medicine, and so little emphasis on primary prevention. Chiropractors in particular are different because we focus on trying to find the underlying actual causes to these problems to prevent having to constantly put the house fire out later on in life. Um, most medical doctors that I've talked to in my area, pediatricians and whatnot, again, like they won't even remotely address something like a tongue tie unless it's having a major symptomatic effect. Yeah. Uh, like a baby can't latch or whatever. So we got to clip the tie and let's see what ends up happening. But even so, I've had IBCLCs who have said, okay, well, we got to clip the tie. Let's get the baby. We'll do some some breastfeeding support. And if the baby can't latch beyond that, well, I guess the baby is in trouble. We're just going to have to put the baby on a bottle for the rest of, rest of their lives. I've even had MDs in the past who have had babies who are having difficulty feeding who've put them on solid food, uh, like oatmeal, for example, as early as four months old. Whoa. Uh, they're so concerned about the symptom of the baby not gaining weight or not latching that they're more concerned about fixing, you know, the house fire by building another like part of the house as opposed mm-hmm. to fixing the cause of the problem. So, yeah, we we see things differently, um, and I think that's why you know chiropractic patients tend to shine a little brighter. Mm. Wow. So, what are some other issues that you see with kiddos? I could talk uh, about uh, what we're talking about forever, but. Yeah. Give people a variety here. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'd say lashing issues are probably at the crux of um of why I see most babies. Um mm-hmm. babies will come in with constipation, with colic. Uh parents will have issues with like massive acid reflux after the mm-hmm. first six weeks or so. Um underlying it's usually usually a latching um issue. And the latching issue that I most commonly see is related to upper cervical subluxation misalignment from the birthing process that prevents baby not only from turning his or her head symmetrically, but also maintaining a uh, cervical spine or neck stability. Um, we know that the the three major uh, primary reflexes that a baby is born with, hardwired, uh, is a, a moral reflex, which is um, a uh, a startle response. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard somebody say it's a carryover from uh, evolutionarily from when we were we were apes. So if we fall out of a tree, we put our hands back to protect ourselves. I <laughs> uh, don't know if that's based in evidence or not, but uh, it makes sense. Sounds good. The other two are a rooting reflex and a suckling reflex, right? The baby huh. should be able to, be, to get food without having to think about it, which is why we want baby to go on mom's chest right after birth and try to latch without any help. Um, having an issue with the upper cervical spine and the neurology that is related to that um, gets in the way of appropriate rooting uh, suckling in some cases, moral responses. If there's a lot of trauma, I just checked a brand new baby yesterday. He does not have a robust bilateral moral response, which is mm. really scary. Um, and beyond that, if we look for things like what's called an asymmetric tonic neck reflex, which is a primitive, almost cross crawl reflex. Mm-hmm. If a baby can't turn his or her head, that reflex never integrates in the first place. Um, and so mm. it's set all this developmental cascading in the future that uh, contributes to delays and you name it. Um, so I, I tend to see mostly those types of cases. Um, this month I was blessed because I had uh, four mamas all deliver within about two weeks of each other. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, two of them delivered at home, two delivered in the hospital, and they all had amazing, incredible, fulfilling, empowering births. The babies did fantastic. I finally got the opportunity to check for very, very healthy babies, which is um, something I've been asking. That's pretty awesome. It is. I mean, because my practice tends to attract those sicker cases, it's really nice to have some healthy kids come into the practice these days. Yeah. Wow. I'm just thinking, like, what would the moms... Yeah, like you said, they had beautiful birth experiences, but to see, you know, their healthy, thriving babies, like they've got to be, they got to be really freaking proud, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it's really fulfilling to see moms who take control, um, who take their power back. I mean, uh, these four moms were all in their second and or third pregnancies. And, you know, I talking about birth, right? Because, mm-hmm fit is is what we're talking about I um I, it's really really heartbreaking for a mom to come into my practice and say okay we're on our second or third pregnancy we just don't want to have happen what happened previously but don't you hear that so much because I hear that all the time every week yeah, yeah without a doubt and you know I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that that moms they go into birth um they go into birth. I, I don't want to say prepared be, or unprepared because unprepared it indicates that they're willfully sort of ignoring. Right. It's uh, not the right word. Right. It's more just sort of. Um, well, I don't. I don't even know. I, I find that the biggest reasons that moms don't have the birth that they want is, is be well, most common is because they trust the wrong people. Yeah, they were led down the wrong path. Correct. Right. I, I'm, I'm reminded of the last mama that I checked. This is yesterday. Um, she was going for a VBAC. Um, early on, she came into my office referred by her doula. We all three of us talked about her plan. We made sure she had the right provider. And she, she basically had the same experience. Like, I just do not want to have a C-section again. It was abusive. I felt like I was assaulted. The doctor didn't say anything. Um, took the baby away. The baby was sick. The APGAR score was three and five, I think she said. Um, so it just went totally terribly. And she's like, you know what? I'm changing my destiny with this birth. And even so, when she went to the hospital, she's recalling her birth story to me because I didn't even have a chance to get to her. It happened so quickly. Um, she ended up bumping into her previous OB who now is a hospitalist at the local hospital. He was on call. Her OB comes in, checks her, goes out of the room, the hospitalist comes in and checks her. And this is what he says, Lindsay, and it could not be more insulting. He says, well, the basketball didn't fit through the hoop last time, so what makes you think it's going to fit through the hoop this time? Oh, my God. Right, and so those of us who are birth doulas are going, that, that, is, that is unacceptable. It is absolutely unacceptable that he would even say something remotely like that. And it's coupled with the fact that at that hospital in particular is where the NICU is. We have NICU nurses who are saying things along the lines of, well, you know, if moms were less, uh, re- less strict about their birth plan, if they're, they compromised a little bit more, um, if they didn't have to have everything their way, then we'd probably have healthier births in the hospital. And I'm just thinking, yeah, who are these people to tell a mom what she should and should not do? Or furthermore, what she is allowed or not allowed to do? Yeah, or what she desires. Like. Correct, right? And this is why we're in this predicament. That's yeah. why we're in this predicament. The best part about this mom, and I'll finish the story up, is that she basically looked at this OB and said, uh, are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yeah. And I think <laughs> she just said, oh, fuck off. I'm going to do my thing. I have my doula here. I know I can do this. And guess what? She did it. Oh, I love that. Right? 
it's such a, it's it's very empowering to see moms who can actually do this. It needs to be more of a commonality. Yeah. If a mom's choice is to have an elective C-section, like let her have the power to make that decision. Yeah, it's her choice. It's her body, like her baby, her family. Oh, right. Oh, what? Yeah. What? How do we change the future? Because I just did a podcast the other day with a woman that's in um, Illinois, and I don't think. I think she mentioned that they're not allowed to have home births there. <laughs> yeah. What? And then Alabama, you can't either. Um, yeah, I need to get a like a um, get my numbers together, but there's still states where you're not allowed to have a home birth with a midwife. Like it's illegal, so people either cross the border into another state or they have an unassisted birth. You know. Right, which is extremely, uh, extremely dangerous in the yeah. absence of their options. Yeah, I was reading an article last year, I think, about um, about the situation in Alabama. Um, it's it's fascinating because everybody's crossing over into Texas right now, right? Texas or Florida? Yeah, um, you know, it, it, same kind of thing we were talking about with regards to surrogacy on my podcast a few months back. Um, you know, it, it, it's by by regulating all of these options out. Um, moms are forced with a really unfortunate choice, yeah. right? It's, you know, risk, you know, having no supervision um, to do something that, uh, you know, sometimes requires support, right? Even mm -hmm. if it's not a hospital birth, but requires support, requires advocacy, um, or go to the hospital and risk being assaulted, right? That's Those are not good yeah are not good extremes. And when we, we have conversations with other allied healthcare providers, um, you know, chiropractors and our patients who are of that sort of vitalistic mindset. And these doctors are like, well, why would you want to do anything like that? It's not like we can even describe it to these people. Yeah. Right. The answer should be, and always should be, what's it to you? <laughs> right. <laughs> like I, you know, it's so funny, Lindsay, I was in a parent teacher conference with, uh, with the principal of our school and, uh, and Fern's, um, Fern's teacher a few months back, and we had to have the conversation about not giving her sugar in the classroom, right? Oh Stop rewarding yeah. her in particular with treats when she does something right. And, you know, we were looking back at these folks, and they were basically like, well, what's what's the problem? And my response, I don't even know where it came from, but my response was, it is not within our healthcare philosophy to reward our daughter with sugar. <laughs> I couldn't be, I couldn't believe I had to even explain that, right? Our yeah. health what am I a Christian scientist? Like no, I just don't want to provide that type of reward system for a kiddo who's otherwise an amazingly healthy kiddo. It sends yeah. the wrong message. Meanwhile, like half of her classmates are overweight and diabetic. Like this is why we do what we do. She yeah. doesn't feel like she's cheated. None of the pregnant moms that we see in our practice feel cheated. They make these decisions because that's what they want. Yeah, they're intentional in their choices. Oh, totally. This parental choice thing is so, so, so important. You and I live in California, and it's getting uh, every day. I know. I know. Oh, it's it's really frustrating. It has me thinking. Okay, if we have kids, where are we going to raise them? She's <laughs> a different country. Yeah. I mean, listen. I want to say, like, I I love living in the U.S. I'm not going to be that guy that hates on the country for yeah. no live an amazing, amazing place. But I will tell you, especially in the state of California, guys, it, it is so stinking hard to, to raise a family here. It is extremely difficult, especially if you're of the mindset like, like Lindsay and I are, because 
we don't have a lot of choices in the way that we raise our kids. If we decide we're going to depart from the status quo, not only do we get a bunch of scrutiny and a bunch of unwanted, you know, antagonism and resentment, but I mean, with the way that the, you know, the laws are going right now, there's a good possibility in the future that we'll get our kids taken away. Yeah. Or arrested or. Right. I I had a cancer kid that I was taking care of in my practice. He, he had a very rare form of neuroectodermal tumor. Um, and his mom and his dad, they decided that they were done doing chemotherapy after the first year and they started working with CBDs and a homeopath and a few other folks. They had CPS called on them 12 times. Oh my God. Unfreaking believable. Um, and we try to explain why, like, you know, these people just don't understand. Don't you want what's best for your kids? You're a terrible person that you don't want what's best for your kids. Are you kidding me? No way. That's not what we want. We want what's best for our kids. It's just not (laughs) what you want. Yeah. We have different philosophies. Totally. Uh, okay, so before we run out of time, I want to switch gears and talk about men in the birth world. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so actually, this I don't think I actually asked, uh, answered your previous question, but this parlays well <laughs> into, uh, into that topic. So, yeah, um, so again, you know, you, you and, and me both have a, a very close friend in Dr. Stanton Hall, who's down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I've been working in birth for, like I said, almost seven years and, um, I, I'm a bit of a unicorn here in this area <laughs> because the majority of the birth workers that I liaise with are women. Yeah. Every doula I know is a woman. Every midwife I know is a woman with the exception of Stu, although Stu and I have never met personally, but I follow him very closely. Um, most of the OBs that I work with are women with the exception of maybe one or two who are kind of mm. getting higher. Um, one of the things that I was a really hard time with in working with, with women was being able to empathically connect yeah, women. And I didn't realize at the time, uh, coming through all of this, that there's, there's a bit of a gender gap there. I took it personally and, you know, Stan, he set me straight and he basically <laughs> said, listen, like men have basically destroyed the birthing culture in the United States. So you can't take it personally when people are skeptical. However, if we do this correctly, we may be able to change that for future generations. And so, um, you know, I, like I said prior, you know, I I did a bunch of uh, Kappa training this year, um, with a Kappa trainer who's fantastic. She's one of my favorite doulas in the whole County. Um, you know, at first she actually, you know, told me that she couldn't train me, um, because, she felt that having maybe 30 women in the room and one dude would create this sort of barrier for vulnerability. And, you know, that irritated me too. But then I, again, like I realized, it, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. Men have ruined the birthing culture. So, um, what I ended up doing is I ended up doing a bunch of private training with her. Um, you know, we learned about being empathic about holding space. I mean, and even with the training that I've done with, with you and, and Erica and Muma and, you know, all the folks that, um, that have really made birth fit a big thing. Um, it's changed my perspective quite a bit. Mm. So what, how, how so? Or well, can you even the put- biggest the biggest problem honestly was I wanted to be in control of all the variables with my pregnant women. And yeah. uh, that, that was my problem. I didn't realize it at that point, but it was because I was so concerned about my stats and my reputation and all the stuff that mattered to me. It totally stripped all of these moms of their power to be able to do what they yeah. wanted. Yeah. Right? And so when a pregnant mom comes into my practice, regardless of what their plan is, 
um, my trajectory, my focus has changed completely to make sure that I'm very clear on what the mom wants and giving everything that I can to deliver on those promises. Um, that's cool. That, that holding space piece is, is really freaking hard for dudes. It's really hard because we cannot understand experientially what women go through in the birthing process. And I've attended tons of births. I get it. I've seen a lot of things and, um, you know, birth, it still is one of those things that I love to be a part of. It's one of those things that I love to to, but I will never understand what it feels like to deliver a baby in that, in that model. And so as a dude, we owe it to the women in our lives, whether that be our significant others, uh, whether that be to the moms in our practices, whether that be to the other birthing providers who are helping these women to meet them where they are and to help them through the process by giving them information, by offering support and by absolutely not judging so that moms can maintain their power hundred percent through not just the conception and the, and the labor pro or, I'm sorry, the pregnancy process, but labor and then on to postpartum. Yeah. I think, I mean, I wouldn't say that's just a male thing to figure out. Like you said, you wanted to control it all. I think that's an everybody thing. Well, know? so let me clarify because yeah. I, I do, agree with you that it isn't just maybe a gender thing, but what I will tell you is the culture that I've observed in, um, well, I mean, is this in California, maybe not in other <laughs> states, especially here is very patriarchal. Yeah. Even with the female OBs that I see that I work with, there's a large portion of these folks, um, large majority of these folks who have a do what I do, or I'm sorry, do what I say mentality or you're fired. Yeah. Right. It's my way or the highway. Um, and you know, the thing that's even crazier and this most disingenuous is that as soon as the shit hits the fan, um, most of these folks don't even stick to the promises that they made. Right. I mean, I can't count the amount of moms yeah. who've had trigger pulled on and on them in violation of the ACOG guidelines because an OB somewhere thought that the baby might be in distress. Right. Even with one of these other mamas, like the, one of the moms that I was seeing this week, the doctor came in, wanted to put an internal monitor in and the mom's like, no, I don't need one. Yeah. But the she wanted to do it was so that she could go back to her office and cash out and watch Netflix or whatever and just make sure the baby's heart was still beating. Like, <laughs> where? What happened? What happened to the birthing culture of observe and stay with the mama and do all this stuff? That's why I love midwives because they're so committed to the cause. It's not uncommon for a mama that I have in my practice that does a home birth to labor it out for five, six days. Yeah, right? totally. But if you go Beyond 24 hours, like who's going to pull the trigger up? Oh, you got to push pit. You got to push side attack. You got to do all this other stuff. Like says who? Yeah. Not ACOG. I mean, yeah, it's, ACOG doesn't even say it. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like the hospital policy somehow trumps best practices. And it's, it's, again, it's a patriarchal culture that's born in the doctor is the owner of your health. And if you do something that's contrary to what the doctor says, um, you're cavalier with your health. You're putting your life and your baby's life in jeopardy and you're just a terrible person. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think again, it started, I started with, with the male component of it, but it's really just a permeating patriarchy, uh, in the birthing culture. And the more empathic we are with our moms, the more open we are. And the more, frankly, we're there to empower our mom's decisions. Um, I mean, the better, the better we're going to do. Yeah, it's it's trajectory changing, genomic changing birth, which changes the health of our children for the better. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it would really, really shift the whole the future, you know, supporting and honoring mom's desires as true as we can.
without a doubt. Without a mm. doubt. Well, what else we got? Oh, man. <laughs> I feel like we've talked about so much, but this is great. Um, tell everybody what you got going on, like with your kiddo cast and where they can find stuff like that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know there's probably a lot of lay folks that are, are listening, uh, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have a, a podcast called The Kiddo Cast, which is designed for, for parents. Um, I know we have a lot of docs who are listening to our, our podcast as well, and they share it with their families. But, you know, the real goal of the podcast is to bring other, you know, amazing docs like Dr. Matthews. And um, we talked about Dr. Berger. And, you know, we just released our episode with Jeannie Ohm. And I know you've had her on the podcast in the past. And that's to help normalize what we do in our offices. It's providing this information um, on, on a free basis so that parents can be empowered to make the decisions that are right for their families. Um, the kiddo cast runs in 15 episode seasons, So we're dead smack in the middle of uh, season two right now. Um, all of my episodes are in the can. They're, they're amazing, unbelievable, incredible episodes. I'm so honored and privileged to hear from these giants in our, in our yeah. profession outside of our profession. And, um, this episode is going to run concurrently on the kiddo cast as well. So people uh, who don't uh, know Lindsay, you will now have, uh, an earful of Dr. Matthews. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, go to iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Android, and you can, you can subscribe to the podcast there. It's also available on our website at uh, the www.chirobeacon. That's C-H-I-R-O-B-E-A-C-O-N.com. Uh, and we, we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, what about your seminars? Yeah, you know, um, I, we've done a lot of expanding this year, uh, which has been a blessing and a curse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love my practice, but I was just calculating my mileage, and I think I did about 65,000 miles this year, which Whoa. is about 40,000 miles too much. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it was because we started two new companies this year, and, um, you know, the goal was to spread the message to other Kairos to help raise the bar in pediatric and pregnancy care. Um, you know, the company that we started, uh, myself, Dr. Christina Stitcher and Dr. Skip Weiss is, uh, it's called practice evolution prime. Um, this program is a, uh, it's a 12 month program, um, online based, uh, with, um, you know, frequent consulting calls between the three of us. And it's, it's there to help set the standard, not necessarily, you know, about practice building for Kairos, but about setting the standard in care delivery mm. uh, for principal pediatric care. And that means that, you know, for example, if you're a chiropractor and you want to learn how to take care of kids, this program takes the baseline information that you may have learned from school, um, that you may have learned through ICPA, um, and it brings it up to the level of, uh, of expert. Um, and so, you know, it's not a program for everybody, but we, we really want people who are invested in taking care of kids to, to give it a look and, and see what yeah. they, th- um, I've also spent a good amount of my time this year on the road with Dr. Steve Hoffman and chiropractic mastery. Uh, my primary analysis and practice is MC2. Um, I love it based on torque release, but, um, it also has some overtones of BGI, MLS, NSA, um, and uh, it, it allows us to deliver a specific adjustment at the right place in the right time with the appropriate intensity 
uh, to allow our patients to do this in perpetuity without needing chiropractors for the rest of their lives. And to be fair, I mean, I still see wellness patients every two weeks because that's the, the way that I like to see these patients. But I find that the longer my patients under care, um, the less they need chiropractic because yeah. their nervous systems are working perfectly. <laughs> that's yeah. the point. That's brilliant. So, yeah, there you have it. What do you think... Um, I'm going to ask you, this is, I didn't tell you, I was going to ask you this, but what do you think will be or should be the biggest step that we need to take to shift the birth world or birth as it is in our country? You mean Kairos or just we in general? We in general. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So I can tell you what I've done. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if this is for everybody, but it certainly I think um, it may set the set the tone. Um, in my practice, the biggest thing that I've done to help my patients and to help uh, you know my team was to stop accepting accepting assignment on managed care uh, providers, the third parties, insurance, et cetera. Mm. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, "Man, that sucks!" Like I want to have access. I pay for this insurance, and right, I'm not but explain it because yeah, they they don't get the big picture. Yeah, and I know. I believe me, I know it because I, I've, I've done working groups with my patients almost every single year for the past six years, and my best patients, you know, they're like, "We love what you do here. We love this practice, but I have a hard time referring people to your practice because you're too expensive." Now, again, if you're a doctor, this is probably going to make a lot of sense to you. But if you're a if you're a patient or you're just a mama who's who's interested in learning about this stuff, yeah. The reason that I say this is because doctors have completely lost the ability to do what they are trained to do when they're controlled by a third party, mm -hmm. okay? Now, even if your doctor is taking insurance, okay, let's say you're a Blue Shield uh, uh, beneficiary and your doctor is a Blue Shield provider and you're in network, Blue Shield is going to tell your doctor what he can and can't do. So yeah, maybe you have no out-of-pocket expense, but you're not getting the best care because the doctor is applying the algorithm based on whether or not he can get paid. Right. Okay. Which is really freaking dangerous. Okay. Um, as a chiropractor, especially in the state of California where covered California does not cover chiropractic care, it covers E&M codes, meaning exams and whatever, but it doesn't cover the actual adjustment, which makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> Anybody who signed up was duped into signing up for covered California because they thought they had chiropractic care now has absolutely no way of getting care unless they pay out of pocket. So now they're paying their premium and they're paying out of pocket for care. When you have this type of care, as we talked about before, um, you know, it's it's not cheap and convenient to be healthy in this culture. And it's unfortunate. Right. So we have a truly I, I don't want to say universal health care, but until we have a truly universal system that acknowledges that the doctor patient relationship is more important than a third party middleman. Mm -hmm the patients who want to really have the benefits of this lifestyle have to make that investment in, um, in the appropriate providers. And if that means they pay their midwife for, you know, a home birth at $5,000 a pop, I mean, Jeannie was more cavalier about it. She's like, if you can't afford it, take a loan out. This is the most important thing that's going to happen. Yeah. She's funny about that. <laughs> she's super funny about it. Well, I mean, talked about Jeannie Ohm. Love yeah. you. Yeah. Six home births, you know, four unassisted. That's uh that's heavy duty. She's yeah. for, um, but yeah, I, I think that's the, the, the mindset, the shift, right? You know, yeah, quoting totally. a book that you, uh, you made me read, um, <laughs> whack, what an amazing book, uh, but that's the mindset, the paradigm shift that we really have to do, have to go under. And it, it's, it comes from taking ownership of our own health. Yeah. 
That's okay. Huge. Take taking ownership of our own health, not being reactive, but actually being proactive so that we don't need medicine unless it's an absolute emergency. Right. I think honestly, Lynn's we're going to have to hit rock bottom before that happens. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because as a chiropractor, we're going to try to, you know, I'm going to try to soften the blow, but a lot of people are going to get hurt and it's already happening. Look at the opioid epidemic in, in California and the rest of the country. I mean, everybody's strung out on, on yeah. narcotics because we played this game uh, that's very dangerous with our health. Um, it was about, you know, doing whatever we want, living fast, dying young, and then taking medicine to try to solve the symptom later without fixing the problem. So that's my my word of advice. If you're a chiropractor out there, my best advice is to make sure you're making care accessible and as affordable as you can so people can get themselves out of purgatory, out of slavery, and uh, and start getting healthy. Awesome. I love that. Okay, so the last question. Sure. Three things you would share or offer as advice for a mom and her family going through the motherhood transition. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'd back it up all the way to mom and dad are starting to think about getting pregnant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a couple mamas who are in preconception phase right now, and we're working through that. Um, okay, so three pieces of advice. Uh, number one, um, I... I with all of my moms, you know, when we do a preconception or a pregnancy or a postpartum consult, if I've never met the mama before, um, the first question I ask is describe your vision of your birth, Yeah. right? Describe your ideal birthing situation. I'm not talking about insurance. I'm not talking about any of this other stuff. How do you envision your birth? And that, that takes mamas by surprise, um, because they haven't had to think about that before. Um, most cases, yeah, no, very no, rarely have they thought about it. Yeah, nobody's asking the question. I mean, the birth plan notwithstanding, like the birth plan comes comes later. It's it's how do you, how do you see this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and that sets the tone so that um, we can you know provide the appropriate care. Uh, we can find the appropriate team members, um, and, uh, and then just knock all the dominoes down in succession. So that's number one. Um, number two, you know, if if you're in this mode, um, you know, talk with your partner. Uh, talk with, uh, you know, interview a ton of different providers. Um, you make sure you feel good about, you know, the direction that you're going in, right? I, I tell people all the time, even when it comes to chiropractic, if your bullshit detector is going off, you're probably right. Um, so hone that bullshit detector and really feel at home with, with the providers that, that choose, uh, midwife, OB, doula, whatever. Okay. I um, mean, the number three, um, you know, it's shameless plug. Like you, you gotta have, a chiro. you gotta have a Cairo on your team. You absolutely have absolutely. to have a chiro. Um, and so it, the sooner, the sooner that you're under care with somebody who is trained in pregnancy, the better your outcomes are going to be statistically. I mean, we know that, you know, um, births, uh, moms that are under care, uh, under Webster specific care, um, tend to be about a third less, um, less lengthy, mm-hmm. uh, labor times tend to shrink, uh, outcomes improve. Uh, and that's because chiros are, are so well-trained. They're the only ones who are trained to make sure that baby has everything that he or she needs to find the exit when the time comes. <laughs> Um, birth trauma decreases, you know, both to mom and baby, um, intervention decreases. It's just, it's so, so, so prudent. And I mean, if you need to find the appropriate recommendations, obviously, I mean, go to BirthFit. I mean, the BirthFit providers are all top notch, incredible people. I'm honored and privileged to share, uh, 
you know, the professional certification with, with everybody on that, that list, um, go to ICPA, uh, look for providers in your area that are at minimum Webster certified. Uh, that's the standard of care and chiropractic. Yeah. Practitioner. And, um, honestly, like you don't know who to go to call my office and I'll find you a referral. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, that's all the referrals that are Kairos on the BirthFit page. They all have to be Webster certified. Yeah, as they should be, yeah. as they should. Until we have a better certification program that raises the standard, which I don't think is ever going to happen because Webster is so comprehensive. Um, that's the standard of care, and it's it's being taught by a living legend right now. So if you're not Webster certified, you got to get out there and, and get that done first thing. Yeah. Aww. Awesome. Okay, remind people where they can find you at. Sure. Um, you can go to my website, www.chirobeacon.com. That's C-H-I-R-O-B-E-A-C-O-N.com. Uh, you can call our office at 805-481-1566. Whether you're in California or not, it doesn't matter. You want to get an appointment in my office, I'm happy to talk to you. If not, you're not in the area or you can't make it up to uh, to San Luis, um, I'll find you a referral. Um, the advantage that docs like Lindsay and I and, and many of our friends have is that we know a lot of people. So um, we will find the right provider for you and, and go from there and check out the kiddo cast on iTunes, Android, and wherever you get awesome podcasts. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out, Dan. Oh, thank you for having me, Linz. Love you yeah, lots. Thank you. Love uh, you. Enjoy your holiday. <laughs> I will. I will. You too. Okay. All right. Bye.